0: Welcome to House Calls, where we talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, delivering kinder, smarter, affordable care for all. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of the dynamic healthcare industry. This month, we're discussing maternity in the Medicaid population in ways large and small, Medicaid's babies are America's future. For the most part, aggregate statistics relating to Medicaid births in America are dismal, but there are pockets of great practice and promising innovation. That's where we'll turn our attention today in this podcast. Our article is entitled, Motherhood, Medicaid, and America's Future, Giving Birth to Better Maternity Outcomes. My co-author is Christian Pacey, a managing director in Kane Brothers corporate M&A advisory practice. We're also joined by Andrea Ballow, Division President and General Counsel of Women's Health USA. Welcome to House Call, Christian and Andrea. Good morning. Good morning. Here are a couple of facts that were a surprise to me, and I think a surprise to many readers and listeners, too. Medicaid covers almost 50% of babies born in America. At the same time, America ranks last among the world's richest nations in maternal and infant mortality. In fact, America's maternal death rate is twice as high as the next closest affluent nation. That grisly statistic doesn't come near to capturing all the harm created by premature births, low birth weight babies and inadequate pre and postnatal care. So my first question for both of you is why? Why does that happen in America? Andrea, why don't you start in setting the stage for our listeners, and then Kristen, you can follow up.
1: Sure. I mean, I think there are a number of reasons why this occurs. The buzz phrase that everybody says is the lack of access to care, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. There is care available at every level, but it's not well-coordinated, and I don't think that as a country we've done a good job of figuring out the best way to reach every patient where they are. And by that, I mean that every patient has their own set of unique challenges, particularly in a Medicaid population that may not, for instance, very simply be able to get time off from work to go to the doctor. They may not have a ride to get there. They may not have child care to watch their child to go to the doctor. And these simple things need to be solved for in order to ensure that women get proper prenatal care, which Will have a positive impact on improving those rates, and that 's something that, as a country, we really need to work towards Christian, anything to add to that
2: yeah, I completely agree with andrea i mean it 's about prevention right, and doing that early is what will you know reduce costs of the system going forward
0: yeah, and drive better outcomes right because in the future, we want healthy babies that can achieve their highest potential in, in the country so that's helpful context and Andrea, as you said in our article, which I thought was a very, very powerful quote, pregnancy is not a disease, it's a natural part of life. We have to stop paying for it like it's a disease. What do you mean by that statement and how does this quote unquote disease mindset shape the care given to Medicaid mothers and babies? And what does it say about how the American healthcare system chooses to allocate resources for Medicaid obstetric services?
1: I don't think we've done a good job as a country really figuring out what pregnancy care should look like. Doctors are reimbursed on a fee-for-service basis, whether they're paid one uniform rate for the entire episode of care, but there's a total lack right now of coordination between the obstetrician, we don't bring social workers into the mix to be able to attack those social determinants of health that make it very difficult for people to access care. We don't yet have a system where physicians, hospitals, and all specialists that are involved in the care are sitting at the table together, discussing and developing a coordinated system of care. Right now, people are just reimbursed for providing the care as opposed to saying, all right, well, what does the pregnancy episode entail? What challenges does each patient face? How do we attack those challenges and ensure that they're getting the care that they need and that they are accessing care at the right times and in the right setting to ensure the best possible outcomes? And so, you know, we can't treat pregnancy as if it's cancer and you only wait until something acute has gone wrong before you call the system. We need to be reaching out, coordinating that care, bringing everybody into the mix and figuring out what patients need rather than just assuming that they'll contact us when they need care.
0: Andrea, maybe we could follow up on that a bit. I want to talk about the money because in many respects, it feels like there's more than enough money in the system to do the type of coordinated care that you're describing. A lot of it goes to neonatal intensive care units and very expensive procedures related to complications at birth and so on, many of which would disappear if we did a better job on the coordination. So talk to me about the money.
1: You've got the the payers on one side of the table and the, the providers on the other. And in each of those conversations, depending on which provider it is, are unique conversations. So, you know, a payer will first have their discussion with a hospital system to say, all right, you know, here's your reimbursement for the following procedures. Here's what you get reimbursed for a NICU stay, in neonatology, etc. They'll have a separate conversation with the obstetrician to negotiate what they'll be reimbursed, but nobody ever sits together at the table and talks about what the total cost is, what's involved at each and every stage from diagnosis of pregnancy all the way to 60 days to 120 to a year postpartum where you would be bringing in a pediatrician. There isn't a venue yet where everybody is sitting down and discussing what does each element of this cost, how do we deliver better care, how do we take cost out of the system? And how does everybody benefit from that? And how do we reward each person or each entity in this process and in in this care compendium to be thinking about quality access and lowering cost? Everybody's incentives need to be aligned. There's a lot of work being done right now by different companies trying to do that but we're just not as far along as we should be. And the other thing that I think never, you know, gets thought of is social determinants of health. How do you bring a social worker into the equation so that when you're in particular talking about that Medicaid population that a social worker who is far better equipped than a hospital system or even a physician is out there reaching the patient and trying to take away the barriers that they have in terms of accessing care appropriately and figuring out what it is that's going on at home that might lead to a bad outcome. Oftentimes it is food insecurity. It is living in an unsafe or unclean home environment. These are things that lead to complications at birth and lead also to hospitals having concerns around discharging a baby to a home environment that they know may not be safe or clean. So, you know, how do we bring social workers and community health workers, all of whom have allocations from the state, whether it's the Medicaid agency or some other agency within the state that wants to help? Everybody's got a lot of money to throw at this, but until we're all sitting at the same table with the payers, whether it's a state Medicaid that's paying, Managed Medicaid or a commercial payer until we're all sitting together as the care provider, the social work providers, and the payers for this care, we're not going to be able to solve the problem.
0: It's such a great, great point. All the emphasis goes to the component parts in a separate and independent sort of way without the focus on the desired ultimate outcome, which is a healthy baby and a healthy mother
1: everybody's got to be comfortable to sharing information with one another. It shouldn't be mysterious or voodoo what the hospital costs are, what the OB's costs are, what the NICU costs are. Everybody should understand every element of it. And, you know, that's a technology challenge. That There are plenty of companies out there that thought of how to solve it or ready to solve it. But everyone has to get comfortable with the notion that, The data needs to be transparent so that everybody can say, this is what I can add to the mix of making this better.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good point to shift the discussion away from the problem, which I think we've done a nice job of defining toward what some of the solutions are. And Christian, why don't you tell us why maternity services are so appropriate for value-based payment strategies that focus on better outcomes ultimately? Tell us what you think. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's interesting. When you look at it, CMS is a
2: goal to convert half of the Medicaid care services to value-based reimbursement by 2025. And we're a pretty long ways away from that happening. When you think of an event like maternity, that's something that could really move the needle in the right direction. As people look at value-based care, particularly around the Medicare Advantage side, I have a massive pool of people. I have a defined event. I have a life period. And they're not changing jobs. So I get to control them for this entire period of time, and I have enough information and data around to make influence behavior and reduce costs of care and drive to lower cost settings. When you look at women's health, you have a massive amount of Medicaid births. Half all the births in the United States are from Medicaid mothers. Now the question is, how do you get in front of that population? I'd love to hear you know Andrew's view on it. Everyone always talks about what are technology that can fix things, but it's really sort of simple blocking and tackling to help manage it. You've got this massive population, you've got a defined event, and you have the ability to shift costs from unnecessary overutilization of certain services during pregnancy, and then you look at the timing of it as it relates to getting in front of that birth and getting in front of that mother, so that the first time that they're not interacting with the healthcare system is when they're seven months pregnant, showing up to the ER. I think that's a big thing. And then if we're going into the hospital setting, the ability to shift to a lower cost setting, healthier births, and lower risk pregnancies that can be done in, in a birthing center. Then thinking about the unnecessary use of NICUs for healthy babies. There's so many pieces that fit in terms of being able to handle this you know, shift this to a value-based environment. The tricky thing is, how do you connect that from the physician pre-hospital through hospital, through the hospital? And that's going to take really solid coordination around with the hospitals, the payers, and, and the physicians. And we're not there yet, but at least as you think about sort of the different steps along that risk pool and that opportunity, you can at least control the upfront with the physician. The big question is how do you shift that focus so when, the, when they're going to the hospital, there's a, a real comprehensive view of not just obviously focusing on the, getting the best outcome,
0: but making sure that you're doing it in a cost-effective manner. Right. Good points, Christian. Andrea, this isn't a theoretical question for you. You live in this world every single day and your organization, Women's Health USA, is on the front lines putting in place the very kind of coordination and information sharing you were describing so that America's doctors can deliver babies more effectively. So talk to us about your company and what you do and the experience and the successes, they're impressive.
1: Thank you. Well, Women's Health USA formed back in 1997. We are a management partner to women's health practices around the country and we're partnered with practices back in the East Coast and also in the Southwest where, where I currently reside. We've spent a, a very long time building our organization and working with our physicians to help them deliver the best care possible. Our goal is to remove all business impediments to the physician in terms of how they run their practice so that they can focus simply and solely on the quality of care that they deliver to their patients. And we work with them in terms of figuring out What's the best way to reach their patients? How do we change and evolve with the population as it's evolving? How do we meet our patients now on social media and provide them with the information that they're looking for there? For many of our physicians, they're just starting to understand that younger patients are looking not just to be able to make an appointment, on the internet at two o'clock in the morning, but to get some information. How do we provide and put information in a user-friendly manner into patients' hands that demystify any sort of women's health medical care that they're looking for? How do we ensure that as our practices grow and evolve over the years, that we're bringing in physicians in care extenders, mid-level providers that match what their community looks like. How do we make sure that the providers that are servicing our patients look like our patients and provide that warm and safe environment that is necessary. Oftentimes people are scared of physicians and you know they don't access care because they're afraid to bother the doctor. How do we solve for that? We've spent a lot of time thinking about that recently. Do we bring in care coordinators so that there are more affirmative reach outs to our patients to see how things are going? How did the visit go? Is there anything, any complications, anything that you forgot to ask? Let us get that information back to you. If you're not feeling well, you don't have to wait until 8 o'clock in the morning the next day when the doctor gets back in the office. Call at 9 o'clock at night and somebody will pick up the phone. Come to one of our urgent care centers when you're not feeling well. Don't dial 911. Don't go to the ER. There are better ways to access the system. Call us, you're not bothering the doctor if you feel like something is going wrong. We will get you in. We will make sure you have a ride. We will make sure someone is there to watch your children. We spend a lot of time just really thinking about how do we remove those impediments and reach our patients where they are. We've talked about other things, like for some of our large employer groups where their employees are accessing our physicians for care. What do we do in terms of perhaps setting up clinics on site? Can we do belly checks in a conference room to see our patients if they only have a 15 minute break and they can't take two hours out of their day to come to the office? There are a lot of things that we spend a lot of time each and every day thinking about and working with not just our physicians, but the payers in the community and starting to work with the hospitals as well to improve that care. We've had tremendous success in all of our markets. And I think we will continue to grow with this model. Our physicians like it. They went into medicine because they wanna heal people. They wanna help. Obstetricians love to deliver babies. They love to deliver healthy babies. There's nothing more joyous in the world for a physician than to bring a new baby into this world and see the smiles on the faces of their patients and their family. That's the whole game for them. And we've gotta continue to remove any barriers for our physicians that get in the way of that, that get in the way of the patient coming in and and achieving that outcome that they so desperately want. It's a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of gratifying work.
0: Yeah. Good for you. Proactive, hands-on, holistic, patient-centric, and the good results just follow. Really, really impressive. Christian, we also featured the OB hospitalist group in our article. Talk to us about how they're improving the quality and safety of hospital deliveries. Yeah, so OB Hospitals Group, or OBHG, is a
2: really just innovative, super interesting company. CEO there, Lenny Leone, is very impressive and has just really differentiated that business. I mean, there's really no one else out there like them. And they took what was a, a real problem that health systems are having and you know, built a very large business around it. OBHD. I mean, their focus is you know really ensuring that high-risk maternity patients receive consistent quality care from you know dedicated hospital-based ob So today, they're in over thirty-three states, two hundred plus hospitals, and over a thousand physicians. It's the Largest employer of OBGYNs in the country. Traditionally, nurses are the first line of attorney care for expectant mothers who arrive at the hospital, and the focus then is nurses communicating with the OBJNs to make sure that someone's in here, delivery is imminent, you need help. So this way, every patient coming in, they're seeing a highly trained OBGYN whose focus has been around managing more complex births and emergencies. And so, you know, hospitals have really turned to OBHG, not just for the more complex patients, but really potentially for all labor and delivery patients because they've been able to show that, hey, we improve quality, we improve patient experience, and we're reducing costs for the hospital. So r- really interesting company that's continue to gain traction as health systems continue to look at how do I partner versus employ necessarily to really drive the best outcomes.
0: Terrific. And the results are what you'd expect, fewer complications, healthier babies, fewer issues with the mother postnatal and so on. The other group we featured in our article, Christian, was Erie FQHC, Federally Qualified Health Center in Chicago, and like the two other companies we've discussed, their focus is also on how do we drive the best outcomes, and they do it from a community-based health center perspective. So they were originally founded on the west side of Chicago to help immigrant populations, And over time have become one of the largest companies managing births in Illinois, not just Medicaid births. So they look at their operations from a holistic perspective. They try to get actively involved with the mothers in their prenatal care, manage their process throughout birth and then after birth and hope the mothers and now the, the new baby become permanent members of their health system. They work with large hospitals like Northwestern here in Chicago, where they have physicians on staff to provide some of the later stage services like OB Hospitalist Group. And it's just very impressive to see an organization living within the Medicaid payment scheme, which is terrible in Illinois, no other word for it really, but able to marshal resources in a holistic way so that they can do the types of things that Andrea described, the care coordination, have the focus on the mother getting her what she needs, solving her problems, and taking that all the way up through birth and afterwards. So yet another good example. And if we get enough of these popping up around the country, we can actually, I think, shift the direction and begin to reverse these dismal Medicaid statistics relating to motherhood and birth that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Christian, last question before we go into our wrap up round. Tell us about how technology is helping to make better maternity care possible. I'll start off and I want to
2: get Andrea's views. Andrea lives it versus
0: I just study
2: it and work around it. And listen, to people talk about it a lot. When you think about the right way to leverage technology within healthcare, think of it as is it something combining technology with you know, care delivery in the sense of does something increase access? Does it improve the navigation of care? And then how does it help in terms of driving to better outcomes and then in turn lowering costs? Within the maternity episode, let's start at the top, right? How do you identify within the funnel? How can you leverage technology to make sure that you know what's happening so you're not discovering that someone's pregnant six months in, right? So what are, what are tools and technology that can drive that? And then within that, in terms of navigating care, I think it's it's easy, it's easy, simple technology, right? Everyone's got a phone these days. It's how can you send automatic updates? Hey, have you done this? Have you seen the doctor? Have you checked this? Have you taken this medication? Just, just sort of simple reminders. And we're seeing this across everything, not just within maternity, that helps just stay close with that patient and guide them along the path. And to me, I think that's really where it is. But Andrew, I'm curious, if you, I know we talked about it in the past, but It's not just technology alone, right? We need to have social services, particularly as you think about Medicaid population, combined with that. So I think you can use the technology in the front to identify and then help sort of support, but this is still a very human interaction situation to reduce the cost.
1: Thanks, Christian. I mean, technology is important. It, It does, as you say, help identify issues, but what needs to happen is that the technology needs to be utilized, right? The doctor needs to get that information fed back to them to say this is what's going on with the patient. And the patient needs to be encouraged to utilize the different technology resources that are provided to them. It is, you know, all well and good to develop wonderful apps that patients can access. But I think what really needs to happen with those is those need to be explained to the patient and why it's important to access the app by someone in their physician's office, whether it's the physician themselves or a nurse practitioner that's assisting with the provision of care. The patient needs to understand and it needs to be demystified for them why we're asking them to check in on an app or to use things like some of the the remote tools that are being developed now, like remote fetal monitors. I don't think you can just, As either a payer or a technology company, send that to a patient in a box and expect that they're going to be able to utilize it. The physician needs to be brought into that conversation and needs to be an advocate for that so that, you know, if I'm pregnant and I'm gone to the doctor's office. I will trust my doctor if he says, look, Andrea, you know, we want to get some better monitoring of what's going on during your pregnancy. I'm going to take this tool out of the box and you and I are going to go through how you use it together. And I'm going to show you how easy this is to use. And I want you to try it before you leave the office. And I want to show you the information that it transmits to me as your care provider so that I know what's going on. If someone demystifies this particular element of technology for the patient, you have a much greater chance that the patient is actually going to use it. So it goes back, I, I think, Dave, to you know, kind of the early parts of our conversation of care coordination yeah. and really making sure that we're not just throwing things at patients and assuming that they're going to use it. We're not just grabbing data and assuming that it will be helpful, but we're figuring out How do we make the patient comfortable with the information that we're asking them to share with us, with the technology that we're asking them to use? How do we use that data to go, okay, there must be something going on at home that is causing whatever I'm seeing, low birth weight or failure to thrive, whatever it is. I'm using that data then to send a social worker out to go check out what's going on at the home and working then with their resources to solve for the problem. It really does come down to, I wouldn't say simple coordination because coordination is hard, but I think technology brings an important element to it. But as Christian said, it doesn't supplant human interaction, which is really the crux of medical care. It always has been and it always will be.
0: You both made that point very articulately that the relationship with the patient is first and foremost. And if there's trust and engagement, then the technology can augment the experience for everybody. If there's not engagement and trust, then the best technology in the world won't necessarily you know, improve the outcomes. So you really have to do both and probably first really work on that relationship part of the equation so that everything else can fall into place. Well, I got to say, what a great discussion. When you just think about the sheer numbers of half of the babies being born in America being funded by Medicaid, there may not be a more important issue in healthcare in terms of trying to improve our. Statistics to make sure the highest percentage of these babies get off to a good start in life so that they can become productive members of society and reach their full potential. So, I really want to thank you both so much for shedding light on this issue, which is right before us, but I don't think it's anywhere near enough attention. So, thank you. But before I can let you go, we have a tradition here on our Kane Brothers podcast of asking our guests to make a bold prediction for the future of healthcare. So Andrea, we'll start with you. Make your bold prediction of what you think that we're going to see in healthcare over the next three to five years.
1: With so many people leaning in on this issue and so much desire to solve it, I believe that we have the right people involved. We have the will to solve it. And I think that if we all have the patience to recognize that there isn't a five-minute solution to this, that with all of the smart people thinking about this, with all of the passion around the issue, and with all of the economic support to solve the issue, we will get there. And my belief and my fondest hope is that we get there in less than five years. Awesome.
2: Christian, what's your prediction? I don't know if this is a bold prediction or not, but in order to be successful in a value-based world, you need scale. And in order to have scale, you need this coordination, you need to have all the tools. I think you're going to see just just a continued acceleration of consolidation within industries, but more not just within doc groups, merging with other doc groups, but really going fully vertically integrated. we're talking about this Health systems have been evolving, you know, over the years. And I think it's just going to continue to happen in a value-based world where you look at these massive towers that are being built and just the amount of money that's going into care for the sick. I think you're going to see the continued outsourcing within those hospitals where it's almost like large retailers today, right? You walk into whatever yeah. you name it, fancy department store, and it's it's little pockets of people operating within that of other folks. And I think That's the right way it should be. And I think you're going to see that from the health systems. And I think they're going to be more fully integrated on the value-based care side of things. And the only way they can do that is really by partnering versus being the ones
0: employing and owning in that. Well, I hope both of you are right, because staying on the status quo path is not a desirable outcome for the United States of America. I'm taking optimism away from our conversation today and encouraged by the companies that we featured in this article that are on the front lines of improving the quality of the birthing process all over the country. So let's hope they get bigger and have better outcomes. So thank you both, Andrea and Christian, for sharing your insights today. I encourage our listeners to dig into the article, Medicaid Motherhood in America's Future, Giving Birth to Better Maternity Outcomes. It's worth your time. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you do to make our health system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for all.